Hello, my name is Megan Lavota, and thank you for listening to Psyche Design. In this episode, I'm going to be discussing the dominant function and what that means for you and your personality type. So if you're listening to this episode, I'm going to be assuming that you understand the basics of what a cognitive function stack is. If you do not know what your dominant function is, I will have a reference below with the cognitive function stack for each type. And if you're completely new, um, I suggest watching some of my more introductory episodes or listen to episode nine in particular, what is a personality type pattern? Because in that episode, I will discuss uh, John Beebe's eight function model. So the number one, I guess, the, your most preferred function in that function model, the one that really you could say dominates your personality is the dominant function. This dominant function has many names depending on who you're listening to or whose definitions you're looking at. You know, Carl Jung referred to it as the dominant function. Um, I've also heard it talked about as the superior function or as your savior function or as your hero function. The one way that I like to think about this function is that it is your autopilot function. It is the part of your consciousness that is always on and you can't turn it off. It um, has been with you since birth. So if we are thinking about the cognitive type pattern as evolving with you since birth, this seed of your consciousness was planted within you when you were born. And as you grow and your this consciousness has unraveled, your dominant function is that most preferred, most natural state of consciousness. So it's a really important function to understand. It's typically the function that if you're taking an online test or even the MBTI and you're trying to figure out what your type is, this is typically going to be the sort of function that is showing up in figuring out what your personality is because it dominates so much of your decisions and your behavior. So as I've said before in other episodes, your behavior is not directly tied to your cognition. But if we're talking about certain personality types having common manifestations of uh, behavior, it is going to be so much easier to notice those themes when we're talking about the dominant function. Because for each individual, this is the function that sort of overpowers everything else to the point where we might not even realize that we're doing it. So for people who maybe are not sure of their type or they have tested as several different types in the past, one thing that might be confusing is that you might underestimate how much you use your dominant function because it is so prevalent in your daily life that you don't even realize that not everybody does that. So that that's one thing. So what I want to talk about today is how this dominant function shows up for us. I'm going to talk generally and then I'm going to give examples from eight from all eight how that shows up in the dominant position. But one one important thing to remember is that in John Beebe's eight function model, he talks about um, he talks about that the dominant function is like the hero. 
And I think that's a really good way of looking at it is that this function plays the, the archetypal role in our story of our life as being the hero. And directly opposite that dominant function is our inferior function, which we might see as is, is against us. And when we have this attitude of the hero, it can, it can help us do great things and battle great things in our lives because we could rise above it. We feel overly responsible for this dominant function. But the problem with thinking of it as with the problem, the problem that comes with it being a hero is that if you automatically are thinking of your natural consciousness as the hero, then that implies that there is a villain. So let me explain a little bit about how this works. So essentially, um, the thing with our dominant function is that, sure, it, it is our preferred state. It is, um, since it is this natural driver, there, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't directly connect to talents and skills. But because we're so driven toward, um, toward that type of consciousness, and we see it as the hero, then yeah, chances are we're going to be developing skills and we might have a real talent for this type of consciousness. We do it so naturally that what happens is we show up in the world with this ability or and with the people depend on us to use this dominant function that we might play that role in our friendships and our relationships or in, um, in our working lives. So for example, me with extroverted feeling, I have become the role of the shoulder to cry on or the person to give advice in a lot of my friends. And in my career, I've gravitated toward being the person that helps you understand people or that um, can reach a certain group of people. Because uh, I, I work in marketing and I've done journalism and psychology. So anyway, um, we play this role and it's, it's sort of like... Um, we get rewarded when we do it um, because we're feeling this need for other people. We're so, we're so good at our dominant function and other people might not be because people have, you know, different functions. So you end up filling the voids in other people's lives and then you get rewarded for it. And it is this loop where you you want to keep feeding your dominant function because it feels good to play that role. So how else do I want to explain this? So, okay, one, one other thing is that essentially uh, Carl Jung talks about the uh, problem when he talks about the eight functions, he talks about it as the problem of type in the sense that there is this drastic one-sidedness in which people's consciousness are basically lopsided and unable to understand and make sound judgments in a balanced way. And it's because our dominant function 
if we feed into that sort of ego trip of feeling like the savior too much, then we're creating a void in our own consciousness. And it can lead to feeling psychically unbalanced or your consciousness might have gaps in which you might be bumping into problem after problem because you don't quite see the problem because you, the problem exists in the shadow. You aren't even looking at the problem. Um, so Carl Jung talks a lot about how this dominant function is overinflated. We, we overdo it essentially. Um, and it's normal. It's normal to do like, this is completely, completely human. It's just the story of being a human is that when our ego is growing, we identify with our natural preference. And then the state of growing um, after that is when we learn to sort of uh, let go of that egoic look at ourselves and learn to take care of ourselves as adults, be responsible for ourselves not just responsible for the part of our psyche that comes the most naturally to us and feeling that ego validation of playing that hero role in everyone else's life. So one, one concept that I wanna bring up is I actually want to uh, quote Amanda Flaker, who is a YouTuber. I can link her um, video or her channel if anyone's interested. But she talks about this concept called the um, savior victim aggressor paradigm. And she might have gotten it from somewhere else. I'm not sure. I've, I've heard of this. Oh, I think something like the drama triangle might be another kind of version of that. But anyway, Amanda Flaker talks about this paradigm of the savior, victim, aggressor, in which it is this game that humanity is playing over and over and over and over, where in every situation, you either view yourselves as the savior with something that you need to defeat, or as the victim who has been defeated, or as the aggressor who is, you know, taking your shit out on someone else. And her whole, uh, on her channel, what she talks about is that we don't have to play that game. We can um, shatter that paradigm and essentially choose the win-win-win. And it's a win for me. It's a win for you. It's a win for all. And it is shattering the need to be the savior. Because as long as you're the savior or as anyone's the savior, then there's a victim and there's an aggressor involved. So even though it might feel good to view yourself as the savior, what you're implying is that there's a victim that needs your help and that there's an aggressor that you need to be um, keeping yourself safe from. And this sort of drama of life if we feel like we need to be the savior, it prevents us from developing our own shadows and taking care of our, of our own. So 
to put it simply, for me as an ENFJ, my dominant function, extroverted feeling, it feels good to be the FE person and to meet everyone else's needs and to be aware of everybody else, what they need. But what about my introverted thinking? Because if I'm addicted to being the savior and playing that role for everyone else, then who is going to figure out what my truth is? No one. I'm neglecting myself. And as I talked about in the episode of ego development and self-development, ego development is essentially feeding the beast of your dominant function. And it is being addicted to being that savior for whatever your dominant function is. And it is neglecting yourself. But the thing is, is that you don't see your inferior function as yourself. You don't see your other functions as valid because you are coming from the perspective of the ego in which you don't even under, you don't even see all the depths of your consciousness and how much more there is. And so this leads me into the concept of projection, which will have to be a whole other video, which is essentially if we are addicted to being that savior and we are neglect, we, if the more we're addicted to being that savior, the more we're neglecting our inferior function, which is that most vulnerable part to us. It is like that wounded part to us that needs protecting. And, um, we're not, we can't take care of it because we see it like we project that wounded part of us outward onto everyone else. So for me, for example, I, instead of working on uh, my inner consistency and understanding my truth, I might be projecting that sort of insecurity that I feel around my introverted thinking onto everyone else in which I might be noticing all the problems everywhere else and show up with my FE in order to be of service to that problem rather than focusing on my own problems because that feels hard because I don't want to be responsible for that because people don't want to be, I'm talking naturally, people don't want to feel responsible for their inferior function because that sounds really scary and we don't feel like we're capable of it. So that's what sort of this archetype is with our dominant function is that we do, it's overinflated and we, we strain it, we, we overemphasize we over the value. And as I talked about in the ego development episode, what tends to happen is people will develop full-on like theories or programs or worldviews or value systems or wherever, they'll basically say, hey, I figured out the secret to success. All you have to do is X, Y, and Z. And they're talking about their dominant function. They're talking about what they have done or what they can do. Because with your dominant function, you're looking out in the world and you're noticing the lack of that dominant function. And so you feel like you need to fill the gaps with your dominant function. And it's very tempting to just go out there and do that. And not that you shouldn't ever do that. There's obviously a time and place for that. 
But the problem with the um, dominant function is that we can feel overly responsible to the point where we're neglecting ourselves. Okay, it, or if you're an introvert, it, that if your dominant function is introverted, then you might feel so overly responsible for your inner universe that you aren't ever responsible for the impact that you're leaving on the world outside of you. So when I say the self, I'm talking about the introverted and the extroverted self. So it's not that, it's not just an extrovert thing to be focused outside and not on the inside. I mean, because it's, well, that is an extrovert thing, but I'm just saying like, it's not just extroverts that neglect the self because for an introvert to be overly seeing the responsibility in their own inner world and not the outer, then they are still neglecting themselves because they're neglecting themselves the space in which they would feel comfortable or the um, connections and environment in which they need in order to thrive. So anyway, um, so one-sidedness. Um, your dominant function is the area in which your consciousness is one-sided. And the idea toward the individuation process is that you're walking down this path of your life and little bits of the shadow become more and more um, obvious to you. And um, hmm, what was I saying? A as those parts become more obvious to you, the one-sidedness can get a little bit more balanced to where the more you allow yourself to see the parts that you don't want to see, the more calm and less dramatic your psyche will be. So let me just kind of jump into some examples. I'll, I'll start with extroverted feelings since I already kind of talked about that. Um, ENFJ and ESFJs both have extroverted feeling as their dominant function. And so this can manifest by feeling overly responsible for um, knowing what is good or bad in the outer universe and feeling the need to abide by those um, emotional laws of, of the outer world. It's always looking at social cues, um, always feeling like they need to help always feeling like they need to take care of the group and be thinking about their impact on um, the interconnections and feeling like they always need to make um, a positive, uh, create a positive bond and, you know, give back to the group. So ESFJs and ENFJs have this compulsive need to do that. They're overly responsible but then the inferior function is that they're not as responsible for what do they think or what problems are worth solving or um, having some more, trusting their discernment with people, what is gonna be worth it and what's, what's not, um, what feels right to me and what things feel so right to me that it is worth fighting for and it is worth ruffling a few fe feathers uh, for. Um, and then, so let's go to ISTP and INTP. Their dominant function is introverted thinking, which means that they feel um, responsible for having an internally consistent 
uh, worldview and principles and living by them. Um, so it's thinking in the in, in the inner universe. They need to know the reasons why for everything. They need to ask themselves if something is right or wrong, and they need to be providing a logical reason for everything that they do. And it all needs to be cohesive. They can't pick and choose of just, um, I'm going to do this because this works over here and this because this works over here. It all needs to fit together. And so they're great at solving problems and they might feel super responsible for solving problems. But what they might not know how to do is how, what their uh, inferior extroverted feeling is, how do you solve the problems or use your brain power in a way that's actually going to help people and not be just spitting your gears? Or how can you um, focus on the impact that you're leaving behind um, is, is um, that's kind of the, I guess, lesson for ITPs. So ESTJ and ENTJs have the dominant function of extroverted thinking, which is logic and reason in the outer universe. They're looking at what is right or wrong in the external world. They want to make decisions that are going to um, abide by the laws of the universe, then they're going to work. They want to um, make sure that things are moving along and that they've considered all of the facts that would possibly be needed uh, so that they're making the most sound decisions possible. And these people could be so productive and so sharp, but they might get carried away with building the most efficient sort of system and they might forget their inferior introverted feeling of what actually matters to me. Why am I building this? Uh, what is productivity for productivity's sake worth it to me? Am I feeling fulfilled from this work? Um, does this fit my, my values or am I just, what sort of moral code do you have um, you know, ETJs can forget what their moral code is or forget to process those emotions and will instead be focusing on what sort of output they're creating externally. So now going to INFP and ISFPs, their dominant function is introverted feeling, which means that they feel overly responsible to um, their own moral code and making sure that their intentions are completely purified and that they are listening to every single emotion that pops up, processing everything that comes up and every decision they make, they want to make sure that it's a reflection on them. This is feeling in their inner universe. So they can be very aware of their own um, emotions and they are have a deep rooted web, I guess you could say, of ethics and values. They understand where they're coming from in every situation, uh, but they might not know how to get the result they want because their inferior extroverted thinking is, is what's lacking because they might not be taking the most efficient route. They might not be aware of how if they're, how they're expressing their emotions and if it is even coming across clearly to other people. Like 
you might have good intentions, but are you loving the person the way they want to be loved? Or how is the system of the relationship working? Um, the IFP might not even be paying attention to what is practical or how they are wasting their energy in some way because they're focused on their intentions and their moral code, which might not line up with reality necessarily in, uh, in the logical realm. So now moving on to ENFP and ENTP, they um, have extroverted intuition as their dominant function. They feel overly responsible to um, considering all of the possible potentials. They don't want to just pick one. They want to always be open for anything to change at all times um, in the intuitive realm of ideas. So they, if they hear an idea, they want to make sure that they're figuring out what if this goes wrong or right, and that they have considered uh, not just plan A, plan B, but to like plan Z, essentially. Not, not that intuition is necessarily making a decision, but they want to like consider all of these possibilities. And um, they also feel the need to imagine how things might be connected and um, they, they, they need to be the ones to provide those new ideas and to share those connections. And um, so this can manifest in them having a lot of interests and not really knowing what idea to start. Um, they might be existing kind of in their head and just thinking about a lot of cool ideas, but not really knowing how to make them into a reality. And so with the inferior introverted sensing, this could manifest as um, not feeling grounded or maybe your behavior in the physical realm isn't lining up with your ideal, your ideas or your ideal. So there's a dissonance there where you might not be practicing what you preach in your ideals. You might not be taking the steps that you need to take in the sensory world to actually make it happen because you don't feel supported. You, so you might feel like you're floating in a cloud. So now ISTJ and ISFJ, the dominant function is introverted sensing. So they feel very responsible for listening to their own energy levels physically and um, being proactive about their uh, vitality and listening to their physical instincts. So if, because they want to feel supported, they want to feel stable. And one of the biggest things that um, SJ, these um, ISFJ and ISTJs feel responsible for is providing stability and making sure that they are stable. So um, that means sleeping when they're tired, making sure that they're doing what they need to can't what they need to do to make sure there's food on the table. So this can make them really hard workers. And they're very in tune of what has happened in the past and what how to not repeat past mistakes because they want to avoid um, drama or any sort of chaos that would make things unstable. So with their inferior um, extroverted um, intuiting, this might mean that they're blocking away other possibilities or ideas. They might be a little bit closed-minded. <clears throat> they might be afraid of change. Change might completely um, 
cause a panic attack in them because they it, they might fear that that new idea will mean that they're not stable and they won't have a healthy foundation to be able to bring their best fullest self to and that's what they want <clears throat> so then we have um ESTPs and ESFPs with the dominant function of extroverted sensing. Now, these people are um, overly responsible for making an impact in the sensory world, and they want to engage directly with the objective external objects. Now, sensing is related to the physical facts. So whenever it's extroverted, that might mean touching or tasting, or it's often referred to as like the five senses, but the thing that makes being a dominant SE person different than just, you know, using your five senses is the way that they seek to engage with it and really immerse themselves in that experience. They want to really um, enjoy their everything in their life. They want to stop and smell the roses. They want to make sure that they are having a breadth of experiences that keeps life exciting and fresh. So um, this might mean that they have the urge to meet new people or to start a business or to work out or to uh, have, you know, travel to learn something new. This could, this will be different for every extroverted sensing person, but the commonality is feeling the need to directly impact um, and engage with the, um, the external objects in their life. Um, and then for the ESPs, their inferior function is introverted intuition. So they might be they might be feeling like they are on a hamster wheel and they don't really know what their why is. They don't really know what is that deeper meaning and philosophy behind why they do what they do. They might feel like they're going down this fast tunnel and they can't see where they're going and that they're just kind of running around like a chicken with their head cut off and they feel the pull toward doing and trying things, but maybe they don't know how to learn from their mistakes or maybe they don't know necessarily, um, they haven't had sort of an insight or revelation about why a certain experience happened. And so they might keep seeking the same sort of experience because they don't have that understanding that would come from stronger introverted intuition. So. Last but not least, we have INFJs and INTJs that have introverted intuiting as their dominant function. So they feel deeply responsible for understanding their personal why is a uh, simple way of talking about it. Um, they are keenly aware of their potential. They feel like they have to live up to their personal potential and they see what this path could be and they feel like everything they do has to be extremely intentional so that they can walk down this path and um, embody that, that potential. Whereas the inferior extroverted sensing would be kind of the embodying like act, action that pairs with the potential the problem for INJs is that they're so overly responsible for um, having this sort of keen knowing of everything that's going on and being extremely intentional with their perception 
that they might be afraid of taking risks. They might not know what step to take in order to make something real. And so they tend to have really high standards on themselves um, with like a very high ideal. They might feel like somewhat alien, like they don't really belong to the world because they're so aware of human potential and their potential that they might not be okay with where we are right now. So they might be a little bit too far out, focused on something that has not yet been, uh, which is good because they could be um, very innovative and forward-thinking. But being painfully self-aware is something that's common for the INJs where you might feel extremely existential, like you're aware of so much that you don't think, you don't know how to take any sort of step forward. It feels like you're just falling into a pit of a black hole. So that's where the inferior extroverted sensing shows up is that they might feel inaction. I've noticed INJs might feel kind of like, um, sort of inertia where they don't quite know how to engage with the external world because they don't want to mess anything up of their, what they feel is their birthright, which is to live their destiny. So I hope that this helped sort of understand the dominant functions or the dominant function and that these examples helped you to understand what that might look like. And, um, yeah, there, there's a lot more I could say on this topic, but I think that that's good for one episode. So thank you for watching and have a wonderful rest of your day.